Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game with me, Kevin Day and football finance expert at Liverpool University, Kieran Maguire, or as he was on various media outlets on Monday, Kevin Maguire, Rob Price and HRH, the Duchess of Kent. I mean, you, you haven't got a difficult name, Kieran, but three or four people managed to get it wrong, didn't they? That's right. I was making my, my debut on BBC Six O'Clock News as well, and they got it right. And I was, I was just about to. Yeah, I, I've always had a bit of a thing for uh, Fiona Bruce as well. So for me, it was a it was a dream come true. She's top of my A list, uh, well, and uh, for them to get my name wrong was was heartbreaking. Does that mean you want to hear about the hour I spent with Fiona Bruce, or you don't want to hear about the hour I spent with Fiona Bruce? When well, I, I think that could be a private hour when you're telling me about that. If no, uh, no, it's, I'm, not, I'm not sure our listeners can cope. It, 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 uh, she turned up for a recording of uh, A League of Their Own last series uh, with her two teenage kids and her two teenage kids were bored stiff because it turns out she dragged them along because she liked the show so much so um, Fiona and I ended up having a long chat about the history of art so she's she is uh, lovely I'll, next time I see her I'll send her your regards um, <laughs> uh, I might change the name though obviously it's it's Thursday Kieran so that's Newsday Um and the reason you were plastered all over the telly on, Mon- on Monday is the big news, of course, this week, that Manchester City have successfully overturned their two-year ban from European club competitions. Firstly, Kieran, what's that worth to them financially? Um, potentially anything up to a quarter of a billion pounds over the course of the next two years. Uh, being in the, the, the Champions League is incredibly lucrative. It's not just the TV deal. Uh, and the, the TV deal for, for English clubs is the most lucrative for any of the European uh, countries because BT themselves put so much in. And the way that it works is the, the more your domestic broadcaster puts into the pot, the more your football clubs take out. So there's that. There's uh, there's sponsor bonuses. Um, and, and of course, there's the potential to uh, get to uh, to the final of the competition. And from then, you can potentially also kick on to the, the World Club Championship organised by FIFA. So it, it's very lucrative. Um, and City uh, City are absolutely delighted. I've, I've got lots of, of mates who support City and uh, I, I know one or two people there as well. And they, they were confident. I think yeah, we'd, we'd said that previously, but uh, this, this is an amazing verdict as far as they're concerned. I was speaking to a friend of mine this afternoon who is a, a sports lawyer. Uh, I, I won't give you his name um, or his chambers, uh, but I believe they would mentioned in the Times article tomorrow who... He basically said that no one in the world of, of sports law thought that UEFA were going to win this because partly because of their own idiocy, essentially. Um, they, I mean, they've lost on their own loopholes, essentially, haven't they? Basically, it was a timed out case, which is a UEFA, which is, you know, UEFA brought the time limits in and it was beyond their own time limits. And their own process was deemed unlawful. Some of the evidence was gathered illegally, for example. So it, it, with hindsight, even reading the, the basic... Uh, CES ruling, it seems like UEFA were hiding to nothing from the start, doesn't it? Uh, yes, I mean, I think the original verdict took people by surprise. Um, and that there was an awful lot of parties who were egging UEFA on. 
Uh, you know, we've seen, I think it's is it eight teams from the Premier League were were encouraging them to to go ahead with this, of course. Uh, and they seem very pleased with the verdict. Clearly, uh, there were clubs in Spain as well, and, and we've seen the the head of uh, La Liga, Tebas. Uh, he's now calling into question the uh, the abilities of CAS, which is the top sports court uh, in the world, uh, and it is you know renowned for being very procedural, very precise, mm. and and very impartial as well. So for him to call into question uh, its its own ethics uh, is is a sign of the desperation that some of City's critics. Uh, have, have shown since the verdict uh, th- there's a lot of very hacked off uh, opponents of the club at present there are no there's no way for example some of those Spanish clubs will say if Man United end up fifth and argue that they had due cause to believe that would be enough to get in the Champions League would they have any cause to to launch some sort of appeal or is that it now no, no. I mean, the the rules are very clear. It is the top four teams that that qualify for the competition. Um, so, if City hadn't been the reason why fifth came into into play was that at the time City were deemed to be not right. able to qualify for next year's competition. So, Manchester United, I mean, yeah, they, they've got a very good chance of finishing fourth, and I think their match uh, away to Leicester on the final day of the season uh, will be uh, one I think which will uh, provide a lot of interest for. For TV viewers, uh, those that aren't tuning into Burnley versus Brighton, of course, <laughs> um, and uh, I think United will also be looking at the other route, which is to uh, is is to win the uh, Europa Cup, um, which which of course they and Wolverhampton Wanderers both have a chance of uh, of winning this season. And of course, UEFA are saying basically that Man City haven't been exonerated here. All that's happened is the process was deemed unlawful the the fine hasn't been completely taken away it's only been reduced by CAS so is your instinct that UEFA will appeal now or is this this is as far as it's gone and Man City will be in the Champions League because I, I believe if you even if UEFA do find a way to appeal that's there's no way that's going to happen before the Champions League starts is it that that's correct I mean UEFA's only avenue that they can go down is to apply to a Swiss federal court uh, now, historically, that's that's not proven to be very successful for people that have had uh, 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 cases lost at CAS. Um, I appreciate they're under a lot of pressure from from the European elite. It would be expensive. It would be time consuming. I'm sure that Manchester City would also set up for an injunction um, if if that was the case, which would either prevent. Uh, the, the the Champions League taking place in 2021, or say that City are allowed to compete in it uh, uh, until the, uh, the the Swiss Federal Court uh, case takes place itself, and it's likely that given it's taken the best part of six months for CAS to hold this uh, this this particular ruling, um, there's no reason why a Swiss Federal Court in the middle of a pandemic is is going to hurry along to uh, to have an appeal from UEFA. So it's uh, it is a problem. I think it also calls into question uh, the future of FFP. You know, what is it there for? Uh, you know, is is it there to uh, you know to, to to reduce debt? Is it there to preserve the existing top table? Um, and, and it has worked. Yeah, you know, that that's you know people are saying it's a disaster. Uh, FFP has worked to a degree to date because it has effectively put a cap on the amount of spending 
by those clubs that that are funded by sovereign wealth funds. Uh, But that cap just happens to be now on a level playing field with the likes of Barcelona and Bayern and Manchester United and so on. And and that's what they resent. Yes, we've obviously been married too long as I'm just crossing out my next question, which is where does this leave FFP? Um, But also, in a way, where does it leave UEFA? Because it's... It leaves them wounded in the water, doesn't it? And and also, it just strikes me now that in the future, every time UEFA hand out a, a, a ruling against a club, that club's just going to automatically appeal and, and on procedural basis. It's, it just seems as though their authority has been undermined by their decision to take a case against their own rules, which turn out to be not fit for purpose. But very much so. Uh, yeah, we saw uh, UEFA. Uh, attempt to prosecute PSG in June 2018 and that was thrown out again through procedural issues so uh, perhaps UEFA needs to look at its own constitution to make look at its rules uh, and, and in terms of FFP it's, it's either got to scrap them or amend them or maintain them and, and just pretend and I think there'll be a bit of a you know it's a bit like a uh you know, somebody with no clothes on walking through town, just pretend that everything's normal um, and it will be a bit of a struggle for them. Well, it depends who it is who's walking through town with no... I mean, if it's Fiona Bruce, Kieran, you obviously you're not going to pretend that's normal. Um, here's here's a story, Kieran, I think even UEFA will try and keep out of because it's going to be way too complicated for them. Hearts and Partick Thistle have now been charged by the Scottish FA for taking legal action to try and reverse their relegation. This is getting messy, Kieran, isn't it? Yes, yes. And, and I think we, we suggested that a few weeks ago. Um, initially, Hearts and Partick were unhappy because they had been relegated, uh, because uh, the, the Scottish leagues had voted um, to have tables based on effectively a points per game basis. Uh, and, and that meant that those clubs were going to go down a division. Um, they then applied to uh, the courts, um, and the court said, well, well hold on, you're, you're part of a member's club. So therefore, according to your own constitution, you should, if you have any uh, any disputes, you should go through the Scottish Football uh, Association, which, remember, is is distinct from the Scottish Professional Football League. When we, when we have Neil Doncaster on the show, he's head of the SPFL uh, many moons ago. Um, so... Therefore, the court actually bounced it over to the SFA, and it looks like the first thing the SFA have done is says, well, you didn't abide by the rules, so therefore we're going to charge you for going to the courts and not coming to talk to us in the first place. Hearts and Partick are now in full of indig- indignation, and uh, this, this one is going to run and run uh, over the course of, of the remainder of the summer. Um, and uh, I, I suspect until and potentially beyond um, when, when the matches kick off at the start of August, assuming that they do. Yeah, I, I, I'll be honest with you, Kieran. I try. I tried to hold on to that bucking bronco. I, I, I fell off about halfway through that, but I think we'll just agree that for the moment it's messy and it's going to get messier. But uh, congratulations, Kieran, are in order to Wickham Wanderers for reaching the second tier of English football. Uh, I believe for the first time ever. Um, It'll be good to see Adi Akinfenwa in the Championship. I'm always a fan of a player who's so big he's got his own postcode. Um, How much could Wickham gain financially from this, Kieran? Um, Well, 
the, the first thing to say is that they'll now be party to the EFL's TV deal for the championship. And, and that's far more lucrative than League One. So that's going to increase their income from uh, about £1 million or just over £1 million to around about £7 million. So that's going to mean that they're going to have record um record income coming in next year, regardless of whether matches take place in front of a crowd or not, I suspect. Um, in, in terms of attendances, uh, Wigan have been averaging around about 5,500 um, in League One. Uh, Adams Park has got a capacity of 10,000. Uh, I, I can imagine that for every away game, it's likely to be sold out if, you know, this is, of course, a huge if, mm. we can return to some form of uh, playing football in, in front of a paying audience. So the away end, 1,800, there'd be a real scramble for tickets because I imagine for, for fans of many club, clubs in the championship, they won't have been to Adams Park before. Yeah. So therefore, it's a new one to tick off. Um, and and it, is, it is a really sort of heartwarming story. You know, Gareth Ainsworth is a, uh, is, is a really likeable manager. He's also uh, you know, been with the club now for a few years. Um, there was a genuine danger of the club going into administration a few months ago um, it, it was owned at the time by the Supporters Trust. It's now owned by an American lawyer called Frank Koenig. Um, and he's, uh, you know, he's managed to put the money in to keep it going over the course of the, uh, the pandemic. Um, and I think a lot of people are just delighted that a new club's going to be in the championship. You know, my one fear is that it's a huge step up. You know, uh, Wickham's wage bill probably in the region of perhaps four million pounds. The average wage bill in the championship is thirty-one. Mm. So it's a big gap, and, and you've only got to look to see what's happened when when clubs such as Yeovil have gone up to the championship. Like they've they found it really tough, and, and then of course they've tumbled back through the division since then. And I wouldn't wish that upon anyone. I always remember back in the day when, you know, in the old days, Kieran, if your team was away from home, you went to see a local non-league team, as they were in, you know, in my case, two in the Mitchum, normally, Carl Shorten. Uh, and if Wickham Wanderers turned up when they were a non-league team, they would have about 1,500, 2,000 away. Their away support was huge, considering the size of their home support. Um, my only fear for Wickham, and I think they will struggle in the Championship, and I think their fans will probably accept that. My fear is that they will be on television a lot more often now, and... I don't think my dad's going to cope well with Gareth Ainsworth's hair, to be perfectly honest. My dad's of a generation where he's not going to want a manager. Look, he, he really will be saying, who's that bloke with the long hair? And I say, he's the manager, Dad. He's, he's, he's not going to be happy. It's like when he found out Exeter City have got a poet in residence. He was a, there was a lot of head shaking when that was going on. Um, Kieran, talking about crowds coming back, the, the, the Premier League has a tentative start date of the 12th of September. Um, and they seem unanimously to be requesting or aiming for 40% capacity crowds when that season starts, or in the case of older grounds like Sellers Park and Everton, possibly less. Uh, I mean, this is a good step forward, and, and if it could be carried on through the rest of the leagues, it'd be a great step forward. I imagine the broadcasters would be very happy as well. Is it practical, do you think, from a just from a purely financial point of view? It's not really our remit to go into the how they do it, you know, in terms of whether people sit diagonally or whether the turnstiles are replaced by big gates. But from a financial point of view, this, is this to be wished for? Um, yes, I, I think on on balance, clubs will, will make a bit more money from this. Um, clearly, if there is going to be some form of social distancing, yet what are you going to do? Will families be allowed to group together and so on? So my understanding is that there's, there's presently there's a working party uh, which involves some MPs and some football executives as well. 
um, and they are looking at the most practical ways of putting this together so that fans can, can return. Uh, what, what are you going to do, however, about pinch points? Um, yeah. It looks like those clubs who perhaps who are very reliant upon public transport for to get fans to, to grounds, uh, you know, they might have to go and have a lower percentage of people attending. Uh, then there's the course of it, the issues of concourses and catering. Uh, will you be able to use the toilets uh, at a football ground? But I, I was thinking when we, when we researched this story, um, I, I've been going to football for for fifty years. I, I, I've never done a poo during, when attending a match. So, you know, do, do we need the toilets as much as we as we do? Well, I mean, it's high on the list of questions I wasn't expecting to be asked myself this afternoon, Kieran. I mean, it's and well done for timing your motion so carefully that you don't need to use a... I don't think many people use a football toilet for that. I mean, there's certainly some clubs in South East London. I don't think the toilet's ever been used for that purpose, to be perfectly honest, Kieran. And uh, I... Yeah, I didn't, now, see, I'm going to have to wrap my brain. I don't really want if, if this is the first edition of this podcast some people have heard, Kieran. If some if some master student in football finance accountancy in America is tuning in for the first time, and basically the first question he hears was, "Have you ever used a toilet for a poo?" It's not it's not a good advert for our podcast, Kieran. Really, um, but you you make a good point. I, I presume. I presume as well. I mean, away fans for a start will be taken out of the equation completely, won't they? I don't think there'll be any away travel. Um, turnstiles presumably would be off. You won't be able. To, you won't be squeezing people through turnstiles. I presume electronic ticketing as well. So that will act as a kind of track or track. I mean, my my big issue is even a club like Palace have got eighteen thousand season ticket holders. If, if you're saying that probably for the most of the season only six thousand of them can go to each game, what what do you do? Do you issue a a season ticket so you can go one every three games? Do you? Does everybody apply? Do the, do the, the people who have held their season tickets longer than anybody else? That, that first 6,000, do they get first go? I mean, there are, there are a lot of practical considerations, but I'm just actually genuinely excited about the idea that we could be getting people back into football grounds. And, and I think it's more important at League One, League Two level, Kieran. And, and when you consider most clubs at that level, probably have got a capacity of 8,000 and a regular crowd of 3,000, and there's still... Um, terraces at that level you think that would make it easier for fans to social distance in in those circumstances wouldn't you rather than more difficult yes uh, i think yeah the, the premier league is is an amazing vehicle in the sense that over 98 percent of tickets are sold so so clearly that, that issue you've raised um especially for, for for those clubs you know like like palace like brighton you've got uh, a, a very high uh season ticket base as a proportion of, of total tickets, that is going to be a problem. Um, it could be that clubs will initially write to fans and say, you know, look, given that we are in the middle of the pandemic, uh, you know, what do you want to do? Because yeah. if you are of a certain age, you know, if you are in a pensioner's age, it, you might decide that you don't want to take the risk yeah. because you are of, of a higher, there's a higher risk of contracting the disease. Um, so I think initially clubs will contact people, then it could go into a ballot. And, and as you say, it could be one game in three. But I mean, I, I'd, I, I'm, I'm like you, I'm just desperate to go and stand and stream and shout and uh, you know, abuse referees and, and do the normal things, which which isn't the same watching it on television, especially in front of an empty uh, an empty stand. So um, you know, it's, it's, it's a hopeful welcome step. It, it, if I could just get to the Porson's Arms and then walk to Sellers Park and watch it on a screen outside, I would. That would. I would take that now. Um, 
And also, do you know what's really worrying me about that conversation about what you use toilets for? Is that, yeah, we get a lot of tweets after each episode, Kieran, and now 90% of the tweets we get tomorrow will be from people telling us when they last had a poo in a toilet at a football ground. And it, it's just you and I doing this. Guy is busy, so for once it's you and I doing it. We won't edit it. It will go straight up, and suddenly Guy's going to wake up tomorrow morning and go, why the are people tweeting me about when the last time they had a poo at the Emirates? So, right. You and I, I need a, we need to have a chat about the tone of this pod, Kieran, don't we? Really, I'm letting the, I'm letting the team down, aren't I? That's what you're trying to say to me. Kevin. I'm not I'm not saying that, Kieran. I'm just saying that some things. Yeah, we have these conversations. But it, yeah, one day we'll do a pod that includes the things we say to each other for the ten minutes before and afterwards. But that day's not not ready yet, Kieran. And I'm suggesting that maybe the maybe that. That motions. I'm trying to find euphemisms now because I know young people listen to this. We, it was it was only the last pod, Kieran, when a young accountancy student described you as a god in his world, and now his god has got feet of clay. Um, Arsenal have announced. <laughs> Arsenal, do you? Do you, do you, do you so, do, as my mother would have said, do you kissed the Baroness with that mouth. Um, Arsenal have announced that they're. Oh, you do. I know the answer to that as well. So I don't even know why I asked that question. Arsenal, for the third time, have announced that their owner, Stan Krenke, has lent some serious cash, serious, even some serious money to the club. Why is that, Kieran? Um, it looks as if it, it, it's effectively the, the same as as remortgaging, but the benefits for Arsenal is that they, they currently own uh, oh, around about £209 million pounds to, to banks and to bondholders, and they're paying um, quite a bit of interest on that. So, so Arsenal have the, the third highest interest cost of clubs in the Premier League. Um, Spurs have the highest, um, and clearly but Spurs have just had the benefit of this new 62,000-seater stadium, so you can understand that. Manchester United are second because, as we know, um, you know the Glazers like paying interest to banks. Uh, but but for Arsenal, well, yeah, it's, it's £11 million pounds a year. And, and Arsenal are, I wouldn't say they're struggling financially, but they're, they're trying to find their feet in a, in a football world where they're, they're not qualifying for the Champions League anymore. Mm. And indeed, it looks like they, they potentially aren't going to qualify for the Europa League as well. So what's happened is that the Arsenal owner, silent Stan Kroenke, um, who, who Arsenal fans are a bit, bit peeved with over the years. He's, he's not put money into the club. He's effectively paid off the existing loans um, and he's going to lend money to the club itself, ideally interest-free, um, but it could be at least at a lower interest. They're currently paying at 67%. Um, so you'd hope he wouldn't try to, to stiff them on the, on, on the interest rate. Um, that they are looking, according to our friend Swiss Ramble, who, who we keep asking and keeps refusing to come on the show. Um, I'm not surprised with your potty mouth, to be perfectly honest. Um, so he, he's he's forecasting uh, a 90 million decrease uh, in revenues for Arsenal in 2021. So yeah, an eleven million pound interest saving will go some way to to, to help mm. that. Uh, players have agreed to pay cuts. Uh, but that's only around about 12.5%. So Arsenal are going to face uh, a bit of a black hole financially next year, um, yeah, like many other clubs. So this is one way of going towards that. And uh, you know, for, for once, I think Kroenke has done the right thing. Uh, Kieran, correct me if I'm wrong, because you, you know how it works. I'm, I'm big picture, your details. Um, that rate of interest, 6 to 7%, when we spoke about Spurs recently, they're only paying 1% to 2%. Is that right? 
That, that's right. I mean, Spurs have taken advantage of the, the government loan scheme. So they've borrowed at half a percent on that. And as far as the... Uh, uh, as, as far as the costs of funding the stadium, they've they've borrowed at two and a half. So Arsenal are paying far higher rates, and and that's sort of a legacy from when they initially borrowed the money, which was you know, a good few years ago when interest rates were higher. So this this is one way of of addressing that particular issue, um, and th- and there was another one that under the terms of Arsenal's existing loans, they had to they had to put aside around about thirty seven million pounds in cash, effectively as a sort of surety, as a guarantee to the lender that Arsenal would be in a position to repay them if Kroenke takes over those loans. And in theory, that £37 million could be put into the pot for Arteta to spend or or to to offer good players new contracts. So, Kieran, this is a question I think that will interest Tottenham fans as well as Arsenal fans. Arsenal Arsenal are still paying for the stadium, are they? Hi, I'm Steve Lamack, and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insight, Stuart Dredge, on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. In each episode, we discuss the very latest goings-on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry, or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works, or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. Yes, yeah, they've they've still got outstanding uh, loans. I mean, they they have been repaying them at around about ten million pounds a year in terms of the capital. But there there were there are still you know, small amounts of finance. Uh, you know, it's two hundred and nine million pounds in total. Uh, going back to the legacy of the move. Some some of those loans are in relation to other bits and pieces, though, as well. Okay, well, Kieran, speaking of serious cash, this is um a very interesting one. It's only happened today, this morning. Um. Uh, and it's a subject we've talked about, Middle Eastern uh, broadcasting rights for the Premier League. Saudi Arabia today have barred Be In Sport, which is the Premier League's official Middle East broadcasters, from operating in Saudi Arabia, which means that if the Saudis were to take over Newcastle, Saudi fans wouldn't be able to watch Newcastle in Saudi Arabia, technically. Is this an indication, do you think, that the Newcastle deal might be off? Because it would seem strange that uh, that Saudi Arabian authorities have chosen this moment to pick this particular fight. And I know it's a a war that's been going on for some time, but this, this battle is up in the ante, isn't it? But very much so. I think I think you're exactly right, Kevin, in, in saying that have the Saudis that they're either trying to put pressure on the Premier League to say yes, and then potentially they might reverse that decision in respect of uh, Bayin, or um, they've been given a heads up that they are going to be turned down, that they have failed the owners and directors test, of which there's a lot of political pressure coming from people from Qatar um, and, and others. Um, in order to make that decision uh, much quicker. It has been rattling around now for months. So given that the test itself is relatively straightforward, A, do you have any convictions which are unspent? Mm. Or B, um, do you do you have the resources or not have the resources to take over the club? Um, then you know that, that shouldn't be taking a huge amount of time. So it could be sabre-rattling from the Saudi authorities, or it could be that they've, they've they're sort of thrown their toys out of the pram uh, with, with regards to this. 
Um, the Bayin Middle Eastern rights, they last until 2022. Uh, Bayin have paid £400 million for them. Um, and at the moment, what we're seeing is sort of a proxy war between Saudi and Qatar mm. taking place uh, via Newcastle. Um, it's certainly when, when I've spoken to some of my own Saudi students, um, who, who I teach on, on football finance stuff, they are desperate for the deal to go ahead. And, and they say that there's huge pent-up interest and Saudi uh, Saudi Arabian citizens would, would effectively then become Newcastle fans because it would be seen as being sort of a, you know, a, a quasi-club of, of the Saudi state itself. Mm. Um, so it, it's intriguing and it's it's all to do with politics, this, as we've, we've sadly had to say on, on too many occasions, uh, and nothing to do with football. Yeah, it would be fairly typical of the Premier League if they were to decide that uh, the richest country in the world are not fit and proper persons to run a, a football club. But uh, still in the North East and then also in the South East or the South, if you prefer, uh, Sunderland and Portsmouth are both now officially opposed to the Football League salary cap idea, aren't they? That's right. So, so this salary cap, and we're only hearing whispers about it. You know, nothing's been confirmed. There's been no pronouncements from the EFL. Um, but the the words which have been leaked, and certainly my experience has been that, that there's many leaky chairmen um, in the <laughs> EFL who who do tend to have a quick word with either the local paper or the national. So the proposals of at league in League One, um, the cap would be two point five million pounds. Now, at present, the median in League One is 5.6. Sunderland's League One wage bill last season was 27 million. So it would mean a 90% cut for Sunderland. Uh, in League Two, it's a 1.5 million uh, proposed cap. So the likes of Sunderland and Pompey, and I also understand Ipswich are here as well. They're saying, well, you know, it, if, if we had a cap of 2.5 million, uh, if we were Pompey, that would be 28% of our income. Yeah, we, we can afford to pay more. What are the benefits of having such a cap? Um, and then you've got the issue of clubs that are being relegated from the championship. The average wage bill in the championship is 34 million. To go from 34 to two and a half between effectively between May and August, um, I, I think that would be a huge challenge, if not impossibility. And, and we've had this discussion before. You know, I appreciate you're, you, you at one point in time, you were involved in HR back in the dim and distant past. Um, uh, uh, employment contracts simply wouldn't work under those circumstances. Yeah, I, I was again, we have been married too long because I was going to mention my dim and distant HR past because in my dim and distant HR past, I knew the difference between median, mean and average and I still get confused. Median is the one in the middle, isn't it? That's right. It's 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 the one so if you've got twenty four clubs in the the Premier League, sorry, in, in League One, it's uh, it's between twelfth and thirteenth in effect. Okay. What is twelfth? And, and what's mean, apart from the way you treat the Baroness. Hey! That's the whole reason I started that conversation. Um, and of um, course, yeah, leaky chairman uh, will, of course, be the ones needing the toilet. Yeah, so the mean is the mean, which is the mean compared to the median? The, the mean is the average. So you take the total wage bill, divide it by 24. So the, the, uh, the mean is 7.4, I think, and the median is 5.6. So if the mean's the average, what's the average? The, the average is the mean. mean. Mean and average are the same. Are they? Yeah. Oh, well, you learned something new every pod, didn't you? Um, 
Uh, there, there will be people on five continents shaking their heads now going, oh my God, why is this man hosting a football finance pod? <laughs> um, it looks like, Kieran, good news for Chesterfield fans, but there are some loans involved from local and county councils. That's right. Chesterfield are presently owned by a guy called Dave Allen, um, and as you and I are both of uh, Irish heritage, yeah, that name ha- has great memories for us. I wrote for um, him. One of the greatest comedians of all time, as far as I'm concerned. I'll say, Ma- it, mainly I'll because- say, I'll say it again, Kieran. I wrote for him. Did you? I did, yeah. Oh, my word. Yeah, you got, you got, you've met Fiona Bruce yeah. and you've um, written for Dave Allen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it wasn't I, a I'm, lot. I'm, I'm, I'm not worthy. Yeah, sometimes, yeah. There wasn't a lot of writing. He was mainly making tea and, and agreeing how brilliant he was, but it was a wonderful uh, year in my life, I have to say. Carry on, Dave Allen, not the oh, that, 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 is, that is just amazing. Um, so um, the, uh, the, the, the Community Trust, effectively the supporters group, uh, have been um, in negotiations with Mr Allen for a long period of time. Um, and then COVID came along, which sort of you know, put a fly in the ointment there. Um, but it, yesterday, and the good news is that both Chesterfield Borough Council and Derby County Council have both agreed to lend the supporters trust £500,000 each at a, at a lower rate of interest over a 15-year repayment term. So it looks as if now uh, Chesterfield can sort of go from the bottom up. Yeah, and we, we are, of course, in favour of uh, you know, fan-owned clubs Always, um, yeah. and, and start to, to build better links with the local community. With, with regards to sort of you know, making it more, uh, more more in line with the values of the fan base. Um, and, you know, also from a Chesterfield point of view, hoping to get back into the, the EFL in due course. Yeah, do you know what? I still, I can never hear the word Chesterfield without getting angry at David Ellery for denying them that goal in the, the quarterfinal of the FA Cup against Middlesbrough or semi-final, where it was Sean Dice was captain of Chesterfield and they scored a perfectly good goal. But I, I still spend too much of my life being angry at referee David Ellery, who was a proper public schoolboy ponce, but there you go. Um, uh, so we're, we're both, the, the, we both switched our filters off today, haven't we, essentially? Um, now, last story, Kieran, before we get on to some shout-outs from some of our lovely listeners. Uh, you have been looking at the FIFA World Rankings and you've noticed, oh God, I've just realised I've got, you've noticed something odd down at the bottom. But it's too late for me to change that. You've noticed something odd at the bottom, Kieran. Um, yeah, I, 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 I'm a bit of a train spotter, as people probably have gathered. Um, and um, so I look at the FIFA rankings quite often, and I just happen to notice that if you take the bottom six clubs, we've got San Marino, the Bahamas, Anguilla, the Turks and Caicos Islands, and the British Virgin Islands. Um, they're all tax havens. You know, so... Ooh. Why? Why is it that the, the the most rubbish football clubs or football teams in world football are all connected to people that help you to uh, you know look after your money in unusual ways? Um, and we've got the Cayman Islands there as well. And I was doing some digging into the Cayman Islands. Yeah, the Cayman Islands is a pretty small operation, mm. but one of their recent heads um, of Cayman Islands football, a guy called Jeffrey Webb. Um, he then became the head of CONCACAF, which is the effectively the equivalent of UEFA, except it covers uh, sort of the Caribbean area yeah. um, and, and South America and so on. Um, Mr. Webb then ended up uh, on a racketeering and wire fraud. I never quite understood what wire fraud means, um, but a wire fraud, wire, wire fraud charges from the US Justice Department. Uh, and he's been banned by FIFA, by their ethics committee. Um, so it, it's all pretty murky stuff. But 
getting into FIFA, being a FIFA-ranked country is very, very lucrative because Mm. what happens is that every year you get a large check to spend on football issues. Um, And I'm certainly aware because I have had the, the, I've been very privileged to sort of teach all around the world. Um, you know, I've I've looked at some of the the local grounds and and I wondered where that money has gone. Um, and there are an awful lot of people, and, and I'm I'm quite confident in saying this. Uh, you know, FIFA is is a mafia organisation as far as I'm concerned, and that's why uh, mafia countries such as Russia were awarded the World Cup in 2018. Um, but it does make you feel uncomfortable that there's other countries who have applied to FIFA who haven't got in, who who aren't particularly good at football. But all of these countries, which just happen to be tax havens, um, have, have slipped through the net and are allowed to play football. But by all accounts, they're a bit bobbins. Yeah, I'm going to say two things to that, Kieran. The, the first thing is that um, back in the day when I was a builder, wire fraud basically involved replacing copper wire with plastic wire and getting the money out of it. Um, but I think this needs to be the subject of a, of a whole pod, Kieran, because I, I was, you know, Guy tucked this question away at the end where it's normally a little light-hearted question, but at the risk of sounding like Richard Osman on, on Pointless, these six countries you mentioned are all sovereign states in their own right, et cetera, et cetera. But I, I think you, what you've said there is much broader than I was expecting you to say, and I think this is something we need to think about, talk about, and maybe make... A, a, a subject for a next pod, Kieran, because this is a this is a big well, I'm going to say accusation. This, I mean, I, I instinctively edged away from the microphone when you accused FIFA and Russia of being mafia countries. I'm not disagreeing, but I want those people to make sure it's only your voice they heard. I ushered the cat out of the garage as well in case she meowed. <laughs> and got um, the, I'm, I'm going to suggest we stop talking about that, Kieran, and we make it a proper uh, investigation for another pod because it, it, it's a very at the at the at the very least, it's an interesting observation that those six countries are, as you say, pretty much tax havens or brass plaques on walls, aren't they? So I I think we should leave that one there, Kieran, and we'll come back to that because it's I think that's a subject we need to do more justice to, and I hope our listeners understand that at, at short notice. So, um, well done, you've opened another can of worms. That's about four cans of worms we've got juggling at the moment. But that's 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 great. Um, now, if you would like to support The Price of Football, and uh, I hope you will, uh, you can do so by visiting supporter.acast.com forward slash price of football or just by clicking the link if you're listening to the Acast app. And we'd like to say a big thank you to everyone who has supported us so far, including, um, and as we're entertainers here, Kieran, this is not just going to be a list of names. It's going to be a list of names with some comments and some wry remarks afterwards. So um, people who support us so far include Seth, who says, great podcast on all aspects of football finance, entertaining and informative. Get the Baroness on, which I believe is an instruction you issue at least twice a week. Um, <laughs> Not at <on> my age. <laughs> oh, you do cheer me up sometimes, good, you know. Uh, Eric Scorzoni is listening from Detroit, Michigan. It could be Eric Scorzoni, but uh, as it's American, I like to think it's Eric Scorzoni. He's uh, out there in Detroit, Michigan. Eric says, thank you for the great show. Enjoyed the book. Uh, Kieran and then as he knows that I get the hump very easily he also added I enjoy Kevin's take on things so that's that's nice he enjoys your book and my take on things Uh, Chris Lowe who in his own brackets says unfortunately not the one from the Pet Shop Boys uh, which is a shame you've met you met the Pet Shop Boys no doubt given your your long uh, list of showbiz chums we've been in the same room 
uh, yeah, <laughs> just that's as far as I'm willing to go with it. We have been in the same room, but yeah, talking to the pet shop boys, I as, as I always say to you, Kieran, it's a sin. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, really, Kieran, it is. What you just said is a sin. Um, Chris Lowe says, thank you for your podcast. It truly is top draw. I only wish you could do it every day. Uh, well, uh, And thank you to Kieran for answering my tweet. I did not expect that, he said. Uh, that's very nice of you. John, M54, who's been on before, so thank you for your double contribution. And we did the M54 joke last time. So John says, thanks for all the good perspective on the game. Much more valid than the Twitter ranting I read. That's that's one for the poster, isn't it? Better, mm. better than Twitter rants. <laughs> next <laughs> next time of show I'll do, I'm going to put, yeah, Kevin Day, better than Twitter rants. Um, uh, Onestead Martin, uh, at F- Onestead, far southeast of London, Onestead Martin, uh, thanks for an excellent show and for showing what a horrible, murky world football finance is. Just doing our job. Mark W says, good to know someone is keeping an eye on the finances, looking out for supporters' interest. And Gavin just says, keep up the good work, chaps. And Gavin, I apologise. I don't know why the fact that somebody called Gavin would call us chaps made me laugh so much. It just It's a terrible working class chip on the shoulder thing. Uh, but thank you for those comments, Gavin. And thank you for everybody else, Seth and Eric and Chris and John and Wanstead, Martin and Mark. Um, if you have a question for us, Sunday and Monday are our question as uh, – oh, I'll, I'll say that again. Guy's not going to edit this, so it doesn't matter. So I'll say it again. Monday is our questions pod, which we just tend to record it on a Sunday evening. If you have a question for us, it's questions at priceoffootball.com. And till then, have a lovely weekend of football. Uh, I don't intend watching Crystal Palace play ever again, Kieran, after last Sunday's debacle. It's, it's entirely my fault because I said to – uh, my friends Tom and Ash, who won the off-licence down the road, that we were going to beat Villa, and I take full responsibility for that awful, awful showing. Uh, and we, and we, I was cheering you on as well. So, I know, yeah, I know unlike, you unlike last night at Wigan, where my cardboard cutout made its debut, um, yeah, they, they, they didn't, they didn't take take on my my willingness from from afar to yeah. to get a result. That was a, that was a score that came somewhat out of the blue, wasn't it? After we spoke about Wigan on 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 Sunday. Eight nil. Yes, well, yeah, clearly yeah. they perhaps perhaps they, it was a an inspirational uh, podcast they listened to before the match, which uh, you know made made them score those seven goals I, in forty five minutes. Think so, yes, and we we had Caroline Molyneux on from the Wigan Supporters Club, who uh, doesn't let the grass grow under her feet because even as we speak, I know she's on a Zoom conversation with some friends of mine who organise charity uh, Zoom quizzes during lockdown. Um, we're going to do one to raise money for. The Wigan Athletic Crowdfund, hopefully next week. So we'll give you more details on that on Monday. In the meantime, as I say, have a lovely weekend. And Kieran, it's time for your your catchphrase, which people miss if you don't say it. Stay safe, boys and girls. I'm for the